This episode is brought to you by Element Kombucha. Kombucha is an incredibly delicious drink with a ton of amazing health benefits, primarily gut health. It's got those good bacterias. Yes, some bacterias are good. I've actually got a bottle of Element Kombucha in my hand. This one is called Summer Vibes. So let's take a sip. Oh, wow. Oh yeah, that's the first time trying this particular flavor and it is delicious. My other favorites are the Mountain Oolong as well as the Jasmine Hibiscus. Elements brewing process maintains the traditional methods and ingredients that people have been brewing kombucha with for thousands of years. Each flavor is brewed with strict parameters to bring out the benefits of the plants as well as the best flavors possible. And let me tell you, you can feel the difference. I highly recommend you give Element Kombucha a try. It's delicious, it's healthy, and it's just nice to have in your fridge for when you're thirsty. So go to elementkombucha.com and use promo code ZIAN11 to save 11%. That's ZIAN11 to save 11%. X-I-A-N-11 at elementkombucha.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. What makes Sheath different is the pouch on the inside. Now this is a game-changing invention that completely revolutionizes the male undergarment. These are the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn by far. They've got amazing designs and styles, super comfortable fabrics. My favorite is the bamboo and also the V, which is a long leg athletic underwear that doesn't ride up and it supports you where it matters most. So go check out Sheath at sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com, promo code TIMEWHEEL. file. 
Jesse Breda. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. So for the listeners, um, just to introduce you a bit, you are behind Gravitas Records, and Gravitas releases some of the best music in the entire cosmos. Tell us a little about what Gravitas is, uh, how long it's been around, and your role behind it. I believe you're the founder, and yep. um, what your kind of mission is with Gravitas. Well, it, the mission is is really to bring up new artists, expose you know sort of underexposed artists, uh, support you know what what I like to say is psychedelic bass music. Um, intelligent dance music. Um, I founded it in 2011. 2009, well, let's say 2007, I went to Burning Man and it just blew my mind. I had been involved in dance music since 1998 and had kind of lost my my love for it to a bit. I'd always been in the, in the house and progressive house dancing. I played tons and tons of gigs in Austin and worked in the industry as like doing lighting visuals sound engineering selling sound systems Mm -hmm. had been djing for a really long time Uh, when i went to burning man i really saw what what i had been looking for 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 many years which was community contribution Mm -hmm. uh consent uh just the, the, the the sheer creativity that people were bringing really just it just opened my eyes to so much. And, yeah. you know, um, from there, got really interested in some of the bass music scene. And um, and then I went to the Landmark Forum, which is sort of a self-development program. Uh, and the first course is all about completing your, you know, completing with your past and so that you don't carry any trauma right. or past habits. Totally. necessarily into your future. Um, and I, I don't really have a lot of trauma or anything like that, but it really it, it had a big effect on me. And right. then continued with that program and did a, a, a course called uh, SELP, Self-Expression Leadership Program. Mm-hmm. And in that course, you're challenged to create a project that's bigger than yourself. And you practice what is known as enrollment and registration. Enrollment is really just getting people excited about your idea. Mm-hmm. Registration is asking them to be a part of that. As part of, um, I did that SELP twice. The first time I was just a participant. The second time I was a coach. And inside of that coaching, I really saw that I wanted to bring the Austin music scene together. Because mm-hmm. I saw a bunch of really talented people sort of just just being able to promote themselves and, and the scene was really fragmented and challenged. And then at the same time, I was connecting with a lot of people through a forum called the Glitch Hop Forum mm-hmm. and seeing incredibly talented people like Ilisha, mm-hmm. the Glitch Mob, uh, Symbionic, this guy named Cryptex, mm-hmm. uh, Eproms, Samples. I mean, a ton of people that are super, super famous and popular and have done amazing work. Um, we're all kind of gathering on this forum and learning and sharing, um, you know, I think that was I mean, before really Facebook took off. And um, 
so sort of I was sort of gathering the the local Austin scene and DJs together and at the same time sort of connecting with people on that forum mm. and uh, discovered this guy named Cryptex and he sent me some demos. I ended up playing some of the music when I opened up for Skrillex. This was when Skrillex was just mm. popping and he was booked to play, I think like an 800 person room in, in Austin. And at the same time I had booked panty raid to play at a like a 300 cap room wow and uh this was disco donnie presents had the skrillex show we ended up merging those two shows mm. and moving into the um the austin music hall which is like a three three thousand three hundred cap room mm-hmm. and so i opened up the night and then there was another austin dj and then panty raid and then skrillex and this was before skrillex even knew how to dj wow just on a trigger finger just <laughs> fading back and forth from his tracks just slamming tracks no sure. no beat matching or anything but of course it was amazing music yeah uh, and amazing night and he actually even talked about that night later in rolling stones as a moment when he realized he's like oh wow um i'm a, this is gonna be crazy amazing um and so I played a couple of those Cryptex tracks at at that show, recorded it, sent it back to the forum, and he was kind of blew his mind and was like, what? Uh, so we ended up putting out that Cryptex um, album that mm. became an album. It hit really hard on YouTube and iTunes, and from there, it, it all kind of snowballed. So that um, was your first release? Yes. Very cool. Yeah. Um, how did you decide to name Gravitas? Uh, that was in SCLP. Uh, I don't really remember the moment when that word came across, but I had a very clear idea that I wanted it. Um, well, I'll back up. So I have this saying about the industry, and I think this applies mm. a lot to to so much what's going on right now. But you, it's like you can't change the game, but you do get to change how you play it. Mm. So I was very idealistic in my twenties, and I really was like really wanted to change the world. And I kind of came finally to the understanding that I, I, I can't change the world. I can only change what I do sure. and how I what I put out there. And so I wanted something that really meant, you know, integrity. And there's, there's a big component of the landmark form is this idea of integrity, being true to your word. If you say you're going to do something, you show up. If you're late, you take responsibility for it. And, and there's a lot of coaching around that. And so... I, I think I kind of riffed off that idea of integrity and found the word gravitas. And so it was mm. like weight and meaning, importance, gravity. Right. Um, and so it's a Roman virtue. And I thought that that was very fitting, that it was even just a virtue. It was like something that I wanted to put out into the world and express. And I think a lot of people think of labels as shady and shitty, and they yep. give artists a r- raw deal. And I wanted to be the exact opposite of that. I wanted to be the antithesis to that shitty record deal. And we've always given the most artist friendly deals that I could ever do. It's typically always a 50, 50 split, you know, and we really work hard to do our side of the, the deal and bring organization and clarity and direction and communication and, and planning and, and helping artists see where their blind spots are in their marketing and their and their you know sometimes even in their music and sound design and things like that and helping them make sense of maybe they've got ten tracks which are going to be the ones that that might actually give you a really compelling release something like that. Absolutely, that is beautiful. Um, I feel a very uh, I feel you know like uh, we're on a very similar path you know for sure. Um, I'm sure you know I run uh, Time Wheel Records, which is another independent record label. Um, I actually 
uh, founded Time Wheel in 2013, so a few years after you. And I actually didn't hear about Gravitas for several, several years um, after what I was doing. But when I did hear about it, I was like, oh, this th- they're on the same frequency. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I love that. Isn't that cool how things pop up like that? And, right. uh, and sort of the... It's in, it's out there and it's all kind of bubbling up and there's this new paradigm of of digital music and digital marketing and I think we both also have like a um, you know a focus in in digital marketing. I also run a, a web agency called Lionshare Digital mm-hmm. and I'm part of the management and and booking group Pivotal Agency. So those those worlds like came together for me in a really cool way and i'm sure they did too of like mm-hmm. how the modern day of marketing music it's predicated on using the internet and getting it getting your message out there and and putting the creatives together and so there's there's a lot of overlap between like digital media web design and music marketing absolutely there is um i want to go back to your time at burning man um you said you went and you said, you know, you finally found maybe your home, your tribe, your people. Um, you didn't say that, but that's what I took from it. Um, I just want to, I feel like a very specific type of person goes to Burning Man. And, and what do you think it was that got you interested in going to Burning Man? Like what series of events unfolded? Um, you know, from your, let's say, late teens to early 20s that that inspired you to say, I'm going to take this uh, trip out to the desert and, and meld minds with the psychedelic community. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So when I went to college at UT Austin uh, and became part of this DJ group, I, I live in a co-op the Taoist co-op and I, and then we were sort of a bunch of the guys there uh, and women too, kind of formed this DJ crew called the semiotics. And then nine 11 happened. And basically John Ashcroft kind of started to go after all of the, the raves that were happening in the U S shut all those down. Disco Donnie of Disco Donnie presents got arrested and, pretty much all of the raves in Austin stopped. And so we started to put together what we were calling renegades. Mm -hmm. And we took that idea basically from a local DJ crew called 626 Soul in Austin. And they would have these renegades. And this is a common idea where you have like a map point and you pick up the map and then you go into this, you know, like a field or or somewhere under a bridge or something. And, you know, like the silent discos is kind of the, the modern day version of that. Mm-hmm. And we always loved those. We thought those were amazing. And so we started putting on our own renegades. And the pinnacle of that was us in the middle of Town Lake, Austin. There's this little tiny, tiny island and you can canoe over to it. Um, maybe it takes about three or four minutes. And we hosted a renegade on this island i mean we had a sub we had subs we had 15 inch woofers we had you know we we dug toilets we had a generator i mean we we canoed all of the stuff over there that's what i was about to ask how did you get the gear over that it was nuts so we did this two years in a row and and the second year the cops came and busted us but (laughs) we we researched it in in texas the lcra is the governing body for water and so they said um, the, the cops can't do anything. You can be out there, but people were breaking the rules by being in the parks after hours. Mm. Um, so anyways, it, crazy times, amazing experience uh, and so many fun events like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that 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 spirit translates to burning man that renegade culture that punk rock attitude the diy get it done and the also the the biggest thing for me is everybody contributes it's not a show up stand in this box and look at this show that is so so one-dimensional to me i mean the lights and the sound and all that is amazing but there's so much more that and people want to contribute people want to bring their arts they want to hula hoop they want to flow they want to you know sell their jewelry they want to paint that evolution of the of the festival culture and all of that that was really kind of to me stemmed out of burning man translated into sort of commodified to a bit Mm-hmm. Uh, it, into Coachella and now you see all of the you know Bonnaroo then started hosting art art uh, and sculptures and things like that right. it spread but it really to me was solidified and born out of the Burning Man community and and the idea that you have to contribute in those 10 tenants of Burning Man is so powerful mm. that I, I I never wanted to look back right that is awesome so I guess I mean the, the idea of like just to expand on that a little bit more driving out there, taking care of yourself, being prepared, uh, un- having to understand how much food, how much water, how much fuel. Yeah. You're out there in the desert. It's hot. It's cold. Uh, you have to be prepared. You have to take care of yourself. Um, and then to stand up structures, build art, uh, all the things that happen out there, the amount of like I mean, the amount of money and also the waste and the environmental impact, I mean, should be overlooked. And, and it is sort of a, um, you know, a challenging part of there. But mm-hmm. but when people come back, they're transformed and they think about how much water they use. Right. They think about how much power it takes. Like in your everyday life, you just turn on a switch and it's fine. Or you just turn the faucet and it comes. But when you're out in Burning Man, you really have to think about that stuff. And it start, it, there's a lot of lessons to be learned that translate into people being more aware of their impact on the world and how much energy and work it takes for for anything that we take advantage that we take for granted so there's it was just a beautiful experience in so many ways that is awesome so was it even before this event that you just described that you were intrigued by the psychedelic community and or groups of friends that were you know um potentially discovering what consciousness is uh, sure. through molecules? Uh, I mean, I, I, my psychedelic journey started when I was 15 years old. Okay. Uh, I took my first hit of LSD by myself in my room in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I was definitely very into the doors and, and hippie culture. My mother was a hippie. My father was a hippie. And, my, and they both played music. They were in bands. And my mom did some traveling and recorded albums. So Cool. That that's just part of my lineage, and my dad would openly talk about psychedelics with me, and he even said, you know, I think you're too young to be doing this. Your brain's not fully developed, right? But if you're gonna take drugs, you know, do as do the ones that you don't have to inject into your body or right. put up your nose, which I think is very good advice and I agree. served me well. And uh, I got very, very heavily into psychedelics during high school. I was mm-hmm. lived in, I grew up in Amarillo, Texas, and I sort of thought of myself as like the Timothy Leary of of Amarillo. <laughs> I would preach and ask and and uh, 
help people take those journeys. Totally. Uh, many, many, many of my friendships were born out of those experiences. And, um, you know, in my opinion, Amarillo is a pretty regressive place. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a, a group of friends that I felt like we really were able to experience what I, what I would say the unending love of the universe through those psychedelic experiences. And yep. it never, it, you know, it changed me for my whole life. And, and I know it set me down a path of, of curiosity. When I started to take psychedelics, I got more interested in school. I started doing better in school. I would be mm-hmm. really interested in science and math. And that led me to get a degree in computer science and, and some of the other work that I've done. So yeah, it, yeah. It, that psychedelic culture, um, it, you know, I, it wasn't very strong in Amarillo, but I was sort of creating that and carrying that banner for myself. And when I made it to Austin to come to school, it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. I see. Yeah. <laughs> you guys were waiting for me to get here. <laughs> yeah. hundred uh, percent. Again, I feel a lot of resonance with what you said about myself as well. Um, because I was one of the more interested people in psychedelics in the circles of friends I grew up in. Um, you know, we had experiences. Uh, I actually didn't take high, uh, even weed or psychedelics through high school. It was at the very beginning of college that I started experimenting with consciousness, so to speak. But it's interesting being kind of a visionary in that sense where, you know, you feel like you found something that helped you and you want to share that experience with others. And I really feel like what you've done with Gravitas is provide soundtracks uh, for people to be able to take these journeys. And um, I don't know, I feel like they're coming from the very dimension um, that these journeys are taking you to like a lot of the stuff. I mean, maybe some of it is a little outside of that, but a lot of what you do and and the releases that you stand behind and, you know, put the the label on, um, really feel like medicine music. Like they're coming out of altered states, like the people creating the music and that you're attracted to, um, are almost like, you know, travelers in these, in these spaces, these mental realms. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, maybe simply stated, it doesn't, it's not predicated upon psychedelics, but it is predicated upon going inward mm-hmm. and being in touch with yourself, not trying to disconnect, but be truly connected to yourself and to the world. For me, it would be a soundtrack for anything yoga, meditation, sex, mm-hmm. cooking you know, just dancing, just get, you know, painting, whatever it is, however you get into your flow state and let go of either the, the, the sadness of the past or the fear of the future, just being present to the now. I mean, that to me is the everything of, of when we're truly present to this beautiful moment, then life opens up, the world opens up, the universe starts to speak to you and you, and, and go speak through you. When, yeah, you know when we're under the influence of psychedelics, it 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 removes a lot of those um, inherent filters, and you all of a sudden you're looking at the sky or your body or the trees, and you just realize how beautiful it is, and it's sort of like mm-hmm. that childlike mind, and that's I mean that's such a beautiful experience because in that moment it's almost impossible to hate 
or to put anger out into the world or to be judgmental is you just see things for what they are and be accepting of of the world as they are as it is um instead of fighting it and and trying to change it or control it and um you know, as I journeyed as a teenager and, and and older, I would, you know, I wouldn't say that I would take too much, but I wanted to go further and I wanted to get to the point where I guess it was ego death. I didn't really know that at the time, but mm-hmm. I would lose myself. And, and a lot of people that I, that were with me would struggle with that. They didn't want to go to the edge right. or go over. Right. I was okay with that. Me too. <laughs> I liked it because when I came back, I, I, it was like, I was more rooted in that. It was okay that I wasn't going to fall off and there was no end. And I mean, when you do experience that moment, I, I don't know. I just felt truly fully connected to the universe and that, that the disillusion of the ego is so powerful that all of a sudden you're like, I don't know. I just felt more connected to everyone around me and, and yeah. was able to just more fully love everything and everyone versus that anger, or resentment, or, or all those other things we carry around when there's that yep. me versus X. 100%. That's the concept of namaste. I see the light within you, the same light that is within me. And yeah. I can't agree more that that's what psychedelics did for me. I, I looked at everyone and said, oh, you're just like me. Yeah. And I'm just like you. We all yeah. just want the same thing. We all just want to be happy. We all just want to be loved. We all just want to yes. have good experiences here on earth. Yes. You know, and it's it's sad that people aren't in touch with that. And that's why I was so kind of, you know, vigilant and wanting to share the message. And that was a larger, a large mission of Time Wheel is not only stand behind music that's emitting from these spaces or that are conducive of exploration of these spaces, but that is... Um, sharing the message that we are all one, you know, there is a spiritual realm that we're all going to return to. And that, I don't know, I I really feel like that was a, it would be a disservice um, to myself and to the planet if I wasn't to share this inspiration. Um, But, but to get back to the music, I wanted to say, sorry, one second, one thing I really want to say, and again, this is some really cool advice that my father gave me was, Psychedelics can show you the mountain, but they're not going to take you there. We all have to right. do the work to get there. Things like meditation, yoga, really working on yourself, journaling, getting through those any sort of anger or or, or trauma, doing therapy, doing the the hard, real interpersonal work, a personal work to 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 get to break through those things that when we're sort of in the default world. Are, are what confront us. So I, I just want to be like psychedelics can be an amazing tool, but they're not the only answer. And I think yeah. that um, at least for me, I got a little caught up in the lifestyle and the personality of it, and it became part of my persona. And and um, I, I don't have a regret, but I wish I would have taken more time to do some more of that other work. Sure. along with those other things to yeah. do the, the to do the integrations and things like that i, I didn't yep. have that knowledge back then right 100 percent. for me i really agree um it is integration that's the term for it and i think the best thing to do is um while you still have that spiritual inspiration that sticks with you after a psychedelic experience at that point, before that fades, which it could fade after days, it could fade after weeks, maybe some people get lucky and they get a few months of this kind of like, you know, uh, 
inspiration of bettering their lives and bettering the lives of those people around them. Um, that's when you do the deep work and you throw away the stuff that's in your house that doesn't serve you, that doesn't keep you <laughs> on the journey. That's when you say sorry to the people that yes. you realize in the journeys that you might have wronged and you do yep. it then and there, you know what I mean? Cut like nip it in the bud type situation and yeah, uh, take action. Yep. Yeah. And then the life will unfold around you um, that reinforces the fact that you want to better yourself. You want to better your life and, you know, the lives of those around you as well. Um, and then as well, a spiritual practice, a uh, daily spiritual practice. It could be as simple as meditating five, 10 minutes a day. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. You don't have to become a vegan. You don't have to meditate for three hours a day, but just, just doing something that keeps you in touch with that mental uh, realm, you know, like the, the realm that you achieve uh, access to by using psychedelics. It's, it's very possible. I mean, people do it through yoga, breath work, totally. um, all kind of different techniques out there that kind of keep you um, in that heightened state of awareness. And um, I think that, you know, maybe people don't know that that's, that exists. And, you know, that is a little bit of the work that that Time Wheel is doing. And Gravitas is doing by having such beautiful mixes out on YouTube that has, they have very affirming messages in them. Sometimes like spoken word comes in and it really like tells you what's up in a great, beautiful (laughs) way. You know what I mean? Love that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I remember, I think it was at the end of one of y'all's mixes. It said, um, uh, you are the medicine, you know, like life is the journey. It says something to that effect. Um, and I just remember that being like, that's, that is it. You know, life is the ceremony. You are the medicine that really hit home for me. And, and I've had so many spiritual epiphanies listening to y'all's music. So it's just, Oh man, that's it's an, amazing. Yeah. It's an honor to, to, to be speaking with you now. Um, but to get back to your music, one thing that I do find is that it's hopeful, it's uplifting, it's energizing. And that, I think, is what I mean to say is it's conducive of these altered states is it feels good, right? Because, you know, there's good music out there that's dark. Yeah. Like Aphex Twin, love it, amazing, brilliant. But some of the tracks are dark. You don't want to yeah. hear some of these songs when you're tripping your balls off, right? So, um, <laughs> I, I find that almost everything you guys release isn't dark. It, it, it has an undertone of seriousness. Like, this is a serious journey, a serious ceremony, a serious track, but it's not dark. It's not scary. It's not sending me into places I don't want to be. And yeah. I guess I wonder if that's, uh, you know, um, if you intend on that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I th- in in some aspect, that's a function of my personality. I think that's how people would describe me. Um, very optimistic, very positive, always looking on, trying to look on the bright side, but grounded in reality. It's not delusional or like, oh, everything's great because <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of work to be done. But that and that's really it is um, really trying to <clears throat> trying to put that energy out into the world that I'm, I'm looking for. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's a saying, um, like most people think like, okay, if I have, if I get this job and I, and I have it, then, then I'll be happy. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really, it's, uh, 
the the way to think is like do be have so a lot of people have it backwards where they think have be do right and so if i have this thing then i'll be this way and then i'll i'll you know and i'll be able to do what i'm what i'm looking for so i'm really and thinking of it the other way if i want to if i want to to have something i got to take action and be a certain way and then that thing will come mm-hmm. and and it's a, so it's a little bit of a flip so so that's really what what the music is trying to put out there is this positive sort of progressive thinking about like calling people into action and and being of of a positive mindset i mean mindset is so important if you start your day off looking at the news and reading you know all of the challenges that the world is going through mm-hmm. it, it can be really demoralizing and it yeah. can be hard to get out of bed i mean i think a lot of people suffer from depression mm-hmm. is it more than it has been in the past or you know i don't know it's hard to say because we finally have doctors and, and clinical right. names for these things but totally. there's certainly a lot of sadness and depression in the world and I think it stems from that. If you can start your day in a good way, on a, on a good foot, with some good positive energy, good mindset, it cascades through the rest of your day. And, and um, I know we both are you know, fans and, and know Aubrey Marcus. And his mm-hmm. book is, you know, own the day, own your life. And mm-hmm. just like any project, anything you tackle, if you break it down into smaller chunks, smaller pieces, and focus on that one, one part, get that right, next building block, next building block, next next task, next project, next piece. Mm-hmm. Chunk it up, get it right, do it right, get that small win, get build build on that progress. After a while, you've got this thing. Right. You know, how did we build Gravitas? Like one song, one release, one piece of artwork at a time. Right. And then now we get to look back and I have 165 or whatever, 167 right. releases that I'm extremely proud of. And I think many have have touched people's lives and helped them and in challenging times and born artists like Closey and and Symbionic and Somatos and Mr. Bill and Essex and Of The Trees. And these people have gone on to have, you know, really, really wonderful careers in music. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. One metaphor I really like about doing the work and then um, realizing that you made it in a way um, much further down the line is, you know, when you're driving through the dark um, on a country road, you can only see what the headlights show in front of you, 20 feet, right? Maybe 30. Yeah. Um, you can't see what's ahead. But surely, if you just keep going forward, you make it to your destination. So without kind of being able to see the destination from the beginning, you still continue you know, putting one foot in front of the other. And then you look back and it's like, whoa, I came from back there all the way to the destination. And look what happened along the way, you know, and so many people are afraid to start because they can't see the end. They can't right. see the destination. Yep. Um, and I don't know, I think it's an act of faith. And for me, um, plant medicines, psychedelics are what instilled faith in me because I did grow up in the Christian church. Um, I understood faith as a certain thing. And I said, yeah, I have faith, you know, but Somewhere along the line, I lost it because I had never had an experience with God. I'd never had an mm. experience with uh, a prayer being answered, these mm. types of things. But in the psychedelic space, um, you know, it's really hard to describe. These, these states are beyond words, but I understood I was where I was meant to be and that things unfold for me for a reason. And it then gave me faith to follow 
the intuition to follow that inner whisper of what I'm here to do. I'm here for a reason, you know, like I wouldn't be here if there was no reason for me to be here. And I just had to discover what that reason was. Hmm. And for me, it was music. Um, I have a high appreciation for the art form that is music. Um, I can't hear it and it not stick to me and not affect me. You know, like some people hear music and just tap their foot and never really like delve into the experience. But for mm. me, the, I couldn't not delve into it. You know, I was being heavily affected by it. And when I understood that that is my emotional response is so um, potent that that this must be why I'm here, to create it, to perform it, to release it, to support it. If I, it is something I genuinely love. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you, how do you feel about that? Oh man. I mean, I, I guess what I, what I often tell people is like, we have the human condition and we all live to some extent live in, in fear of death or fear of being alone. And when we experience music with other people, or even when you're just by yourself, like to me, it crosses the language barrier. It just hits at a very human, visceral, emotional, uh, animalistic level, just deeper down and there's le less less cognitive, less logic brain. I mean, I'll, of course, I'll hear something and analyze it to death of how it was made and all those other parts. But when it hits me and I feel it, mm -hmm. it's just it's it, you feel connected. You feel connected to to the world and and other people. And you're like, wow, like did you? We experienced that together. Like that that right. the vibrations hitting everybody at once. Like you truly are <laughs> sort of vibrating at the same frequency together. Right. Um, I think that, that we don't know enough about things like that and what's happening um, at a scientific level to like explain it perfectly. But I think we all know it intuitively. Like that's something we all can 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 get together on. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's yeah, it's been a huge part of my life, and it's I think for me, like my mission is maybe less about the music and more about supporting people mm -hmm. and bringing community. Um, that's definitely you asked about the mission and and right. that that that's a bigger part of it. the The mission is supporting the artist right. and delivering quality music that we believe in, uh, consistent, not following a trend. Like you know, there's been we've been through enough of them right now. Where, right. You know, as, as the label of the dubstep trend, the trap trend, the weird bass trend, whatever it is. Uh, or the lo-fi trend and and we will absolutely integrate and assimilate those trends into like us as like we hear that music and we'll and the artists hear that music they they take from it what they will and we and it may end up in their stuff but that's we we've never been interested in chasing the trend or trying to be the most popular or the, be the biggest mm -hmm. label or make the most money our our focus has always been to to have to deliver you know, quality music, artwork, and work with artists that we believe in, that we mm -hmm. feel are good people. Right. You know, there's been a lot of drama and, and for for the right reasons around Me Too and the treatment of women right. and treatment of, of, of minorities, um, LGBTQ. Yep. Um, 
in the, and it's just, it's, it's time to change. And we've always been on that level of like, this is the way we want people to be treated. So it's a humanistic endeavor. Yeah. It all starts with humans and, and connectivity and community. And, yeah. um, so the music is sort of the, <laughs> the, the conduit for all of that to happen. Yeah. Um, but ultimately it's really about the people and connecting with them. I, I get so much, um, happiness and pleasure and fulfillment from working with artists, you know, like someone we're working with Somatost again, he's got this amazing album that we're going to put out. Amazing. And it's, it's so cool to have seen him grown as an artist and, and, and to develop his sound and to develop, you know, a fan base and a following of people that truly love his work for who he is. He's not catering to a specific sound. He's just Mark. Yeah. And he's just doing his music authentically and he's grown as an artist and playing more instruments and right. he's got this amazing. And so that just fills me up with joy to see someone that's pursued that. And for me, like I, I've played guitar, I've made music, I DJ, I love DJing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could have seen myself being an artist, more of a musician, but I found that my, I'm, I'm an empath. I'm able to support people. I'm able to hear what they're saying formulate ideas, formulate plans, give them feedback, be their cheerleader, mm -hmm. uh, have some money, have some financing, have some business sense, have some team building. Right. Uh, so I brought all of those things together under the label of things that I'm good at that, that I've realized, you know, a lot of people aren't, or they struggle with that. And especially if you're an artist, like you're just there to not just, but you're creating that art. Like that's so much right in and of itself. You see, mm -hmm. you need people like myself or like yourself who, sort of are multifaceted and working in a bunch of different aspects of that business to to help bring that to light and to give them a push and to help them stay um you know to not lose the faith because man it's hard to make a living it's hard to be creative when you're in the middle of a fucking pandemic and or yeah. all of these things going on in, in the world that are going on and be like, what? How do how do I you know make this matter? And so people like ourselves really show up for them and go like, it matters. Like keep doing it. So one hundred percent. Wow, that was beautifully said. And and I really relate. It's funny you said you're an empath. I have been told that about myself. Um, it, it's funny. I I have a, a small resistance to self proclaiming it. I don't know why. It's just almost it feels like a badge or something. But. Uh, it is true that I, I can very much feel into where people are coming from mm -hmm. and and want to help them because, I don't know, it feels almost like a gift, you know? Um, it sounds like a similar thing going on with you as well. And, I, right. and I did want to ask, you know, what have you found are the qualities of the artists that tend to maybe, quote-unquote, succeed in that they, they do um, get dedicated fan bases they are able to sustain themselves financially through their career in music and that are more or less happy with their life. Hmm. That's a great question. It's, it's a difficult question to ask because there's so much. And I say like this is sort of like a video game character. You've got all these different attributes. Um, you know, it starts with having something to say and being able to evoke emotions mm -hmm. or some sort of emotional response with your music. Um, you know, when I look at 
the data in Spotify or Bandcamp or SoundCloud about what songs get played the most, it's usually stuff that really kind of hits the heart and yeah. feels, you know, there makes you feel something like, um, in terms of personality traits, it's really consistency, persistency, not giving up mm-hmm. and confidence, not being not, it's, it's such a strange thing because you, you have to not care about what people think and just do blaze your own trail. But at the same time, you do want to show it to people and you do care what they think. Right. So it's this, it's a weird dichotomy where you want both. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think there's just an order to it. Um, having tough skin and, and getting back up on it and just continuing. Um, yeah. I mean, work ethic is a huge deal and no matter what you do, you have to put in the work. Professionalism. Um, yeah, and I think, and I think this speaks to a little bit about the the challenge, the gender gap in electronic music, um, but not being afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'll, I'll explain that because it's definitely worth explaining. Um, and this this is something that kind of got taught to me by or told to me by my mother, who's a sociology professor and psychology professor. Is sort of in women are taught to basically essentially as they're children be perfect and that because they're a perfect little princess and boys are kind of taught to be tough and rub some dirt on it now i I think that's changing a lot and we're seeing that um as time progresses but that's sort of that old model of boys are tough and girls are perfect and pretty and in school that that mentality is like if you get something wrong as a boy you're just going to go try again Mm -hmm. as a girl it's like you're so afraid to fail um that you you get stopped mm-hmm. and you and you're afraid to try. Um, when it comes down to to electronic music or computer programming or science, it's really about getting your hands dirty and and trying and trying and trying and failing. Um, and, and and in no way am I trying to to like generalize or make this about you know in in for everyone is always like this, but I, I'm trying to expose like yeah. why that exists and and where some of that comes from. And I do see that. So people that are not afraid to fail seem to, to do better. Yeah. And at com- that can come in so many shapes or, 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 and sizes of, you know, they've just inborn confidence or, you know, they're just tough. They've had some hard times in their life and they kind of, this, this challenge of, of putting out music and maybe it not being loved by everyone immediately doesn't deter them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we have people like Closey, Megan Hamilton, a hundred drums, uh, as women on the label. And that's been something that I'm really passionate about also putting women in, in, in leadership roles in the organization, mm-hmm. all of them, all of, all of the women that are part of the organization is just there. I would just qualify them as tough yeah. and, and, and not afraid to fail. And they're good at, at, at taking feedback. So to kind of get away from the gender uh, topic is being able to just take good feedback, take your hits, fail, like have people not show up to your to your set, play yeah. for an empty room. I mean, it takes mm-hmm. five, ten years of that yeah. to be successful in music, right. um, and you got to really want it. You got to really, really want to do that. You got to want to be a a, a, a creator. You got to really want to do it for the love and and be passionate about learning. You know, you look at someone like Mr. Bill, and it's just like the guy is just a machine at 
pulling in new information. You look at someone like Ahi, and he's just always studying and learning and dissecting and learning the the the, the technical aspect of music making. And right. so having a hunger, whether it be on the technical side or someone like Inconti too, is just always like trying to push things forward and and doing it because that's satisfying to him versus um the mind trap of I've got to do this so that I can make this song so that I can be popular. Like that's a yep. uh, means to an end and it does not go well. And if you're so focused on the, the outward success, like it just kills yeah. what will actually make you successful. Right. And so I look at our most successful artists and, and the most successful songs and the most successful um, releases and they have always just been true to who they are and what they're about and where they're coming from. So again, kind of, kind of just circle back is like that being creative, being authentic, being true to yourself, like trying to really have something to say mm-hmm. and trying to communicate that to people in a way that will make them feel something being consistent about that again and again and again, and just not stopping getting better, continuing to learn and improve and like looking at your past, learning from what you would call mistakes, improving, taking that on, learning it and and, and being humble. Yeah. I, I mean, I can definitely talk about people that I've seen that have got let the success go to their head and then yeah. it just fell off because nobody, that energy does not work, 100%. especially not in this scene. Yeah, remaining, you know, hospitable, remaining humble, remaining... Uh, a pleasant personality, even through your success, I think yeah. is what I'm hearing. It really helps people continue to thrive. Not yeah. you finally get your success and then you say, oh, I can be an asshole now. <laughs> you know, like, well, let's see how long that lasts. You know, but by the sound of what you're saying, it doesn't last too long if you. I, well, I'll, I'll speak to that. And just because I think it's an interesting topic, it it's not it definitely doesn't happen overnight. And someone's not going to be like, I'm going to be an asshole now. It, there's so much stuff that and I'll even maybe use an, a specific example of someone who's like pretty outwardly spoken about this stuff on Twitter is, yeah. is of the trees. Okay. Now we released Tyler's of the trees first couple EPs, super young guy met him at South by Southwest and, and took an interest in him. We released his music and now, I mean, he's doing extremely well for himself right and now. And I think you would be shocked and especially having managed closely and beats antique and desert dwellers, the amount of of uh, entitlement that comes there to these artists' way through social media and the access that people have now that they once didn't mm-hmm. is exhausting. And and people expect these people to remember their face. I met you one time at Bonnaroo at, at 4 o'clock in the morning. You don't remember me, and then that person is upset. So sure, sure. it can be really challenging to remain what people perceive to be humble, but just like... Give, give artists a break if they don't remember you or they are having a bad day or maybe they don't feel well. If they're actively touring and this is the 20th show of a tour, they are tired, they are hungry, they wish they got to sleep in their bed, they yeah. miss their significant other, they miss their dog, they miss their cat, they miss their couch. It's a hard life to be on the road. So if you meet an artist at a venue or at a festival and they're not and they're not putting out the energy that you expect them to have, man, that's on you. Give them a break mm-hmm. and please understand that they're getting hundreds, if not, you know, messages, mm-hmm. DMs, whatnot, it, with the most insane requests I've ever seen. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the height of that for me was in Closey's, you know, Instagram inbox would just be 
insanity. I can't even tell you what people think they are are entitled to because someone is a public for, so it's, it's tough. But uh, to, to my point is really the, the, the actual respect of other human beings. So you may not be having a good day, but just say, Hey, I'm sorry right now. I can't talk like that, that versus some of the other behaviors I've seen of, of really just taking advantage of people. And, you know, honestly, for me, it would be men taking advantage of women. And we just went Mm -hmm. through this with base nectar and space Jesus Mm -hmm. and others. And it's, it's time for that to change. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's really what I'm talking about is abuse of power, abuse of your position as uh, a Mm -hmm. leader at, in the community and taking advantage of, of people that maybe, don't don't have the ability to say no or or couldn't because they think that you're you know so important or you're so famous right wow that was yeah i'm glad you you went down that road there because that is very interesting and sheds a lot of light on maybe what artists are dealing with daily especially as they become successful and more widely known and you know higher up on the billing and all of this and that um, a few things came up for me that um, I'm just intuiting. I don't know because I'm not one of these artists that is massively successful or gets high up on billing and stuff. But um, part of me was was feeling into the fact that look what they do on stage. They have to reserve their energy for that. Yeah. That is like you know, they're bringing the energy to hundreds and thousands Yep. And you can't just give yourself away and your all your energy away all day, every day, and then show up on stage and kill it. You need yep. to have, you know, some some reserve. battery, yeah, some reserve. Yeah. Re, you know, like you need to kind of protect your energy before yeah. the show so that when you go up there, you can kill it because that's what people are paying for. They're not just paying to say hi to you and, and hope that they remember you from three years ago at four a.m. That they're paying for the show. And so yeah. by them maybe having some boundaries around, I can't say hi to everyone. I got to go to the green room and save my energy and come out and kill it for you guys. They're actually giving you a better show. They're trying, yeah. You know, so that was one thing. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to pr- they're trying to protect themselves, and and you know, I got I guess I guess I got a couple stories here. But let's say we did this tour with Closey for her Evasion album, and we would do meet and greets. And it was really interesting to see the behavior across different people. And one of the consistent things is most often those people would want to tell their story of that artist. I first heard you here and I had this moment with this song where this person and this really emotional time in my life and that helped me through that. And oftentimes it's like way pretty much not about that artist or the person that is that artist. It's like this person needs to tell that story. They want to share that story. And it was really interesting to see that, but, but it's, it's, it's a lot for the artist to take on and, and absorb that and, 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 and mirror it right into the, the idea of mirroring. Like when someone's telling you a funny story, you're like smiling and you're laughing. If right. someone's having this really emotional thing about your music and if you just sat there and didn't say anything right. they would be confused so you have sure. to mirror oh wow that's amazing i'm so glad you loved it and and yep. and oftentimes those people as they're telling that story they loop 
they tell it and then they'll tell it again and right. then they'll tell it again and, and it's like the third time you're like okay we we heard it and that's a really hard time so as sure. managers as road you know tour managers or or whatever you have to kind of get in between them and say okay sorry your five minutes is up we got it next person sure and sometimes they don't want to let go and they don't want to stop that moment it's it's really tricky you want them to have that you want yeah. these clearly really important to them um and the other i mean on that tour for instance you know we're talking about 42 tour dates on that tour mm-hmm. closey flew from france to san diego we did f- three days of rehearsals before the tour played a show in san diego woke up the next morning drove to los angeles got to los angeles got to the the place where we were staying, threw our bags down, got back in the RV, went to the Roxy, loaded in the venue. I mean, this is Chloe there too, like moving boxes, loading the gear, setting up the stage, sound check, dinner, show. There was not really time to sleep. So you do that, you compound that times 20 Mm -hmm. and you start to realize like your body gets, she she eventually did get sick on that tour. Like Mm -hmm. just like pretty much everybody just knows you're going to get sick on tour. Mm-hmm. And and so it's just it's so hard on the body, it's so hard on on your mind right. and you start to there is like this level of depression even though you're surrounded by people and everyone loves you. Mm-hmm. It, people really start to feel very lonely and really right. sad because sort of people treat you as a thing and not as a person. So sure, sure. um yeah, I, I think it's just it's important to share because I think we expect a lot of famous people and 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 they're amazing people but they're yeah. they're still people <laughs> yeah they are they're they're a human they still need eight hours of sleep they still need yeah. three meals you know and they, they often s- don't get that yeah they often do not and so they're running even lower you know but i think that people think that they're superhuman because they create such amazing stuff that we can't even fathom how right. it was made so they think you know that they're more than human and yep. and if you're a more than human which i clearly know you are because look at your music you <laughs> should be able to do everything that i expect of you and more right, right. you know <laughs> that's kind of what people think and it's just not that way um that but the other thing i wanted to say is about there is something to be said and i heard trent Reznor speak on this in an interview about how um you know rock stars when trent was growing up would have this mystique to them. Yeah. They would have this mysteriousness that you don't know what they do when they're off. They kind of disappear back into the ether, and the only time you see them is on stage when they're killing it mm-hmm. in the ceremony that is the live performance, yep. and then they disappear again. And the only way for you to interact with them again is to buy a ticket to the next show. You yep. know what I mean? Yeah. And that has been lost with social media. Um, that has been lost with a ton of, you know, updates to the world more than social media, but, you know, people do feel this obligation and maybe even, uh, marketing wise to share their life on social Mm -hmm. media, share what they're eating, share where they're living, share how their studio looks, all this and that before, you know, let's say 30 years ago, that was a rare thing. If you saw into an artist's studio, it was in Rolling Stone magazine, you know, it was like, it had a platform to it if you were gonna see into their space now that is a normal everyday thing and in fact people are like waiting for it oh they they put a new post out i I have to see what they're doing you know like people become kind of uh, very attached to the personality and the lifestyle 
um, of musicians these days more than just the releases and the shows. What do you yeah. think about that? I mean, I think with anything, there's pros and cons. There's been this evolution of that experience. Um, you know, one of my favorite bands is Tool. And for the yeah. longest time, they wouldn't give interviews. They wouldn't yep. do any of that stuff. And honestly, I think it's cool. I think I it's great. I thought it was dope. Yeah, let the music speak for itself. I right. think it's a. I think it's when you're starting off. It's it's very very tempting to just expose everything you have, and and uh, I think that's where the confidence comes from. Of like, let the music speak for itself. Um, you know, it's a it's an aspect of branding, like you said, of like the idea of of a brand. It, the more time someone sees you and they have a positive Im- impression, then they're going to think of you when they open up Spotify or go to Bandcamp or something. And and that's the thing. Uh, you're trying to make impressions and mm-hmm. get seen and, and get heard. Um, I think it's become a commodity and sort of a race to the bottom. I mean, everybody's vying for attention and fighting over, you know, our attention, our, our limited attention. We're, yeah. as musicians or, or brands, we're fighting with Netflix, mm-hmm. video games, you know, every other form of entertainment out there. Like it's a very competitive space. There's a lot vying for our attention. So mm-hmm. um, I, I, I'm a big fan of not oversharing, uh, of taking your time and not, le- not working for social media, but letting it work for you. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel like a slave to mm-hmm. it and I really encourage them not to yes. um, work smarter and not harder. Yeah. Like use the scheduling feature, use these platforms, invest in some some sort of tool right. to drip out your content in a smart way. If you look at someone like Gary Vaynerchuk where he's, he's about the long form content, mm-hmm. do some long form content and then chunk it up do a photo shoot and then ch- and then drip it out over the next three months. Yeah. Um, you know, sh- if you want to share your studio, then do that thing, whatever it is, your walkthrough, whatever, you know, this is my gear or this is the song. And then make more content from that one piece, that one idea, that one piece of work, right. one piece of music and, and then roll it out in a bunch of different formats and, and, and ways, um, that way you're not caught in the cycle of every day you're waking up. Oh, I need to make an Instagram post. What I got to think of something funny to say right. on Twitter. Fuck that. Unless you right. like that. Like again, back to the trees. Like I think he likes to be on Twitter. I think he likes to chat with people. I think he likes to interact. Mm-hmm. That's his thing. Great. Do that. If that, if that, if that fills you up and brings you joy and makes you excited and you, you like doing that with your, your time, then do it. Mm-hmm. But if you're one of those people that are like, I don't like this, then don't, yeah. then then follow listen to yourself listen to your intuition it's it's a race and it's a it it feels like a race it feels like a competition and that is the wrong type of mentality the wrong type of approach that will get you fans right desperate people smell desperation and it does not look good on anyone so if you're confident and you're excited and you're willing you're you're like i cannot i'm so excited to share this thing then then people will resonate on that. So, um, and I think just, if you are going to be on social, (laughs) be real, Mm -hmm. like, don't, don't fake it up. Don't try to be someone you're not. Don't, if, and if your thing is like highly stylized photos and art, then do that. That's great. Mm -hmm. But if you're 
you know, and this, this happens with music. Like we're all trying to learn our platform or learn how to make music or learn these different aspects of being a creative. You may emulate someone at first, but ultimately I would try to find your voice inside of all of these things. Like I said, if Twitter is your thing, then use it. Or if you like making tutorials then then do that and, and leave the rest on the table and don't feel like you have to do all the because at that point you really just work for them and yeah. and they're all getting stupid rich off of all of us mm-hmm. and this and this like impending like i'm not doing enough as an artist manager it always felt like oh we got to be doing more and mm-hmm. i also was like no we should be doing less pick mm-hmm. your punches be smart let's make it count Here's the here's the lead up. Right. You know, if you look at some of the best bands, they kind of go dark for a while. Someone like Skrillex, look at Skrillex. He went dark on social media for a long time. Right. And when he came back, it was a thing. Like people were, oh, Skrillex is back. And you're like, right. okay, well, sure. But that's impressive. And of mm-hmm. course, he's uh, in a whole different class and popularity. But I think that that is smart. Yep. It's, it's, it's like, it's sort of like when you're on stage and you're performing, y- you come off stage and like typically you'll be like, people will, will only kind of recount their mistakes. Oh, I messed up this one transition or whatever. Right. Nine times out of 10 or 99 out of 100, people didn't notice the mistake. Right. And they only like really picked up on your energy and sort of like how you made them feel. Right. Right. And so take that week off to create something meaningful for yourself and for your fans and for the people that you hope to be your fans and then roll it out in a strong way versus spending, you know, like chasing your, you know, running around with your head chopped off like a chicken with your head chopped off. I got to do some every day, blah, blah, blah. And none of it means anything. And it's all kind of weak. That doesn't leave a good impression. So if you hit them hard with a really cool, impactful piece of music, art, thoughtful piece, or you've put some time into it, that's gonna mm-hmm. that's gonna hit home. Hundred mm-hmm. percent, amazing advice, amazing advice, for sure. I, I do think somewhere along the lines, you know, the you know, the lines began to blur <laughs> about what was important: um, manifesting beautiful music or being popular on social media. And when you just think into you know uh, how much time some people spend managing their profiles could be one to five hours a day sometimes it's music it's time that isn't going towards music it's time that isn't going towards creation and uh you know your career or emails with people that would actually make a difference instead you want to look cool to uh, a thousand random people you have no idea no connection to um but the views and the, the the counters going up in numbers you know, uh, become some type of addiction, you know, it, it creates some self-validation feedback loop that you feel like you have to continue because if you were to see lower numbers, you feel as if you're losing now and you know, it's just a trap, dude. That's how they engineer these platforms to keep you coming back. And I just think people should know that and know that the numbers aren't, uh, where your value lies. Your value lies in creating good music. You know what I mean? Because that is what the art form is. You know, you could create really crappy music and get a bunch of numbers because you're good at manipulating online social media strategies or whatever the fuck. But um, 
I don't know. I just feel like that's not the game. Like, let's look at, uh, you know, there, there are some rappers out there, right? And I don't mean to call anyone out or throw any shade, but like, I'm not a fan of Little Yachty, but he gets crazy numbers. You know, <laughs> Little Yachty, it doesn't uh, come off to me as a talented rapper. It feel it feels fun. It feels bubbly. It feels memeish. Yeah. And he gets crazy numbers, millions and millions and millions yeah. of hits. But like Closey, way better artist, mm-hmm. way better. So yeah. like the numbers aren't, you know what I mean? Um, at least in my opinion, this is all my opinion. Um, totally. The, the, the numbers aren't what proves what's better. You know what I mean? So I just wanted to, to share that. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, what, what are we even going on here of, of like what's better or what's not, or then, I mean, right. Like I guess your point is like the numbers don't equate to saying meaningful, meaningful art. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of things there with that. Like I, I think in my like early twenties, I was maybe like hesitant to like dive into pop music and say like, Oh, okay. I'm into pop music. It felt it felt can it felt like candy it felt too easy it felt like you know i was there was they were being catered to um lowest common denominator and i wanted i wanted to i wanted to feel more i wanted to be but you know if i go back and i listen to someone like justin timberlake mm-hmm. i mean the dude is talented the dude can yeah, write and if 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 you can make a song that appeals to someone that's seven years old all the way up to 98 years old yeah. and it works, then you did it. Okay. I mean, right. Michael Jackson, Justin Timberlake, these, these prints, mm-hmm. like these songs stood the test of time and they're classics for a reason. Um, but I mean, you know, I think you're probably talking about like, like right. Little Yachty, is he going to write a classic song? that's going to stand the test of time. Probably not. Exactly. He, he's cashing in on a fad. Yeah. Does it work on TikTok? I don't, Right. care i right. do not care i do not care if it works on tiktok that's what i'm saying we've never chased mm-hmm. trends it doesn't satisfy me it's not gonna last and and that's why i've never hung our hat on a specific genre right. or anything like that because it trends come and go mm-hmm. and that's not what it's been about i really have have for for us took our cues from people like the glitch mob who i felt were blazing their own trail finding their own path you take your influences and you make them their own and then you put them out into the world as what works for you and what's exciting to you Mm -hmm. and i think you know i I would guess little yachty is a a true artist in that way i mean he's Mm -hmm. definitely made it but he's dedicated it doesn't it doesn't resonate with you and i but we're we're not his demographic either so totally very true (laughs) Very true. Well, I did want to say I've mentioned this on a number of my podcasts. There is this concept that exists out there called 1,000 True Fans. Ah, yes. And the, the concept is if you as an artist or an entrepreneur or, or anyone that has a product can just create 1,000 True Fans, that ideally, you know, they would show up when you have a release, when you have a show, when you have a t-shirt, when you have something for sale, um, an album, whatever it is, like that is, you know, ideally enough to sustain your career. Um, what have you learned about this concept of a thousand true fans through working with all the artists you've worked with? Uh, you know, it's a good, 
it's a good story. It's a good marker. It's a good way of encouraging, of, of kind of bringing things home, bringing things back to a realistic uh, ideal. Mm-hmm. If you're starting out and you want to get going and you look at whatever, you know, excision and you're like, there's no way I could ever get 5 million fans mm-hmm. on Instagram, probably true. Mm-hmm. But okay, let me try to focus on 1,000 yeah. or 100. So some advice that I give artists that are trying to break out and get start touring is to focus on one city at a time, mm. one region at a time. And oftentimes I'll tell them as like really, truly tactical, actionable advice is, okay, you're going to put out an EP or you're going to put out a single and you're going to maybe run some ads or some marketing dollars on Facebook or Instagram or mm. do some work, right? Are you going to, what's your target audience? Okay, well, maybe just North America. Okay, well, there's a lot of people in North America. Well, why don't you just run those ads to people in Denver? Mm -hmm. Why don't you look at your Spotify numbers or your SoundCloud numbers, your, your, you know, the the analytics or your Bandcamp numbers and see where people are listening to your music. Take one of those top markets and try to just focus on that one place. So that's a, that's that's basically where that one thousand one thousand fans is 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 driving at is like mm-hmm. you don't take over the United States you don't book a national tour overnight you need to play Denver you need to play L A you need to play San Francisco you need to play Oregon you need to play Portland you need to play Asheville you play you know New York Austin Dallas and all of a sudden now you have a tour and the only way that you're ever going to do that is by playing those cities multiple times going from a basic door deal where maybe you're just playing for who shows up and they pay $5 at the door and you're splitting out with the promoter Mm -hmm. to maybe you've got a, a, you're uh, the opening act or direct support for someone bigger. And then that that doesn't count towards your ticket history, Mm -hmm. but then all of a sudden now you got your own ticketed show. You can get a hundred people out. Okay. You can get 200 people out. And that's how you build as an artist in one market. So it's a long journey each market is its own journey. Each place is its own place. You have to, as an artist that you're trying to get going, you kind of need to track that and work on that. And so, I mean, that that to me is the actionable. And then, and then things like that, kind of in a, a different tangent is, all right, are you going to buy, you know, 500 shirts with your logo on it and try and sell that? That would not be my recommendation. Because you just don't know maybe how many people are going to buy that. Start small. Mm-hmm. Use something like a print-on-demand you know, shirt service or merch service. And then you can test out different designs. Sort of work smarter, not harder again. Don't, don't make big bets just yet until you have to, until you kind of know, hey, okay, this is working. All right? So th- there's a, a service called Printful.com. Yeah. You can upload your own designs. When someone orders that one shirt, you can make that order for them and Printful will send it to them. Right. And let's say you get 100 orders or 50 orders and you know, like, hey, people like this shirt. Now I can print it like on a larger batch from a, you know, like a screen printer in, in your town. And now you've got some inventory, but don't, don't make those big bets just yet because there's a lot of ways to, to sort of uh, mitigate your risk. Right. Returning to the topic we were just on, I wanted to talk a little bit about merch and say that there seems to be um, something to be said about scarcity and limited edition merch as well, meaning you only have a hundred of these things. 
Yeah. And, and therefore, it is more rare, it is more scarce, it has more perceived value, because once they're gone, they're gone. Um, yeah. Have you noticed that that works pretty well versus having an endless supply of t-shirts available? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's psychology and and urgency. It's a, I mean, in some ways, it's a sales tactic. In another way, it's just smart and sort of by function of being a DIY artist. DIY artist, you can say, hey, like, there's only a hundred of these things, and that's all we're ever going to do. Right. Um, we've done a lot of that, uh, and we've done some of that with with Closey and Desert Dwellers. And and gravitas and and you know it's I don't I, I think it's really smart and and I think it's a cool cool experience for the fans of like I own something physically yeah that won't ever be made again in the age of digital music and the ubiquity of of Spotify and and right. Apple Music and streaming there's very little satisfaction in the act of opening the app and putting that music on. So the ritual or the, the experience of opening something and holding it and connecting with it physically, I think is really necessary. And it's, it's, it's hard for, for people to get that right now with artists, with music. Mm -hmm. So vinyl is obviously a huge resurgence. The, the wait times on, printing presses right now are over six months Wow, um, and they're backlogged and they continue to be even more backlogged. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are really enjoying the experience of buying people's music again. And that's exciting to me because it shows there is this desire for people to connect with music mm-hmm. and the artists that make them and the art and the physicality of it. Right. And, so that there's a lot of opportunity for artists to be creative inside of that right. and, and have um, a relationship with their fans when you talk about those 1,000 true fans. So if you do the math, right, if you have, if you work really hard and you, let's say you even have 500 fans and you have a merch item that's 15, 20, $25, maybe the cost of goods on that is 10 or, or something. And so right. if you have 15 bucks and you have 500 Right or a thousand. I mean, there, there's a real, there's actually some real money that can be made, um, and you can live off of. You can sustain yourself. And there's more and more of you know companies getting involved to help artists do things like that: pre-sale, pre-fund campaigns. Mm-hmm. You know, Bandcamp just launched their vinyl uh, sort of service. I'm I'm a little. Um, I don't want to say suspicious, but hesitant. I don't think the deal structure is fantastic for artists. Mm -hmm. There's a company in the UK or sorry, um, in Europe uh, called diggers factory and they'll let you do it. There's a, their vinyl company called Q rates and they'll let you do that. So you can put up a vinyl campaign and say, we're going to do a pre-sale and that way, you know how many you want to sell. So the, the worst thing that can happen for an artist when they do merch is you print 500 or something and then you end up with 300, uh, you know, in inventory of leftovers and you sure. can't sell that. That's a really bad situation that, right. that all of a sudden that makes your 
effective cost of goods, you know, three times what it was or whatever the math is on it. And right. so then you actually didn't make any money. You lost money on the deal. So, right. and you're not able to say we're sold out. Thank you so much. Yeah, you know, exactly. Which that does have a, as you said earlier, like a psychological selling point. Um, and as well, I wanted to mention, I'm sure you've heard of the company Supreme, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they have a limited, uh, quantity of every design and therefore the reselling market is able to jack the prices way up um to say hey i got one of these things that cost me a hundred but now guess what you buy it for 500 and that that uh, you know theoretically going towards like a, a popular artist's record is kind of a cool idea you know like say let's say a closey or something for example they only print a thousand cds they sell out in one day or not cds but vinyls vinyls uh, yeah. um, they sell out in one day and 10 years from now it's now a classic record there's only a thousand people out there so those people that have those vinyls are a gonna feel really special but b could you know it, it, i wouldn't sell it personally but if they wanted to they they're not going to sell it for the price they got it for yeah. they're going to sell it for something 10x I mean, on Discogs, that's happening. Her her Harmony vinyls are going for three hundred or four hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. We exactly. did that's exactly really, what I'm saying. Yeah, we did a really, in my opinion, smart thing with that vinyl in that we numbered them. Yep. And in some cases, we signed them or she signed them. Brilliant. And um, people went crazy for it. People are saying, "Oh, I've got number blah blah blah," and so right. that became a discussion. There's a whole group on Facebook called uh, uh, Bass Vinyl, and the Somatost uh, Vinyl and the Closey Vinyls come up again and again as people like, I've got this one, and they're, they're, the prices are insane. Um, and uh, there's a lot of that collector mentality going on right now. I think the pandemic sort of tripled the, the well, okay, well, I'm not going to go out. I can't spend my money at a show. I guess I'll collect vinyl or I'll collect... Uh, pins or something and so there was a lot of interest resurgence around that absolutely love it wow we're hitting on so many topics i've only got two more um here and i want to respect your time today but um i wanted to get into this topic because i i find that it's a struggle um with beginning artists so to speak um musicians so i want to know what your thoughts are on taking any gig free you you, you're playing for free or should you really stick to your guns and demand that you get a guarantee or a retainer or a percentage of door sales what is better that that you are you know perceivably uh holding so much value with what you do and demanding that you get that return back for what you're going to provide and maybe you get one tenth the gigs as someone that is willing to play for free, willing to play anywhere, you know, um, kind of uh, just like way more network centric in, in their, uh, you know, uh, ability to take on gigs, you know, like they'll play for free because it's going to be more exposure. They don't get paid. So they're investing in their future by doing that versus the artist that says, I'm not playing if I'm not getting paid. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's no like clear cut answer. I think it comes down to where you are in your career, what your goals are, and then a function of sort of three aspects of the gig. 
Right. So if you're early on and you're just getting started, then I would play as much as you can. I would get that experience. I would get really good, mm-hmm. you know, get, get good. Like the chances are, if you've only been on stage 10 times, you're not that good. You're not that compelling to watch. You're not that much fun. Mm-hmm. You haven't figured out your stage presence. You don't know how to work the crowd. You don't know how to work the mic. You don't feel comfortable. You got the jitters. You got to play a lot to get that out of your system. Mm-hmm. So at that point, take what you can get. I think it's worth asking for money. And and if you are showing up, you put in time, you're helping to promote, you're doing all the things you're supposed to be doing. Uh, you're staying sober at the gig. Uh, you're helping in whatever way you can, Mm -hmm. then you deserve to, to be compensated in some way. What's a, what's a fair going rate for an opening DJ or, or night? I mean, it depends. It depends on the venue. It depends on the, uh, how much to like, if you get to open up for, you know, Claude Von Stroke and you want to be a house DJ and you don't have a strong following, like I would play that for free. Yeah. But if you're opening up for, you know, just, you know, a night and you're one of, of three people playing and the rest are locals, then you should should get some money. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to say, but I think you should, you know, kind of intuit what's right for you. Right. And then I think it's a function of like, what is the actual exposure? How much do you really want to play the gig? And then like how much do you how much do you need the money like is there money there so maybe mm-hmm. you don't really want to play the gig and there's not any exposure but they're going to pay you really well mm-hmm. well then take it mm-hmm. okay maybe they're not going to pay you any well but there's a ton of exposure and you really want to play the gig well then play mm-hmm. it so if you can get kind of yeah a really strong one out of three or a really you know decent two out of three then take it and i think that you got to weigh those pros and cons um i th- i think to like expand on that and i give you a real world example of someone like symbionic you know he helped with uh, with gravitas for a really long time he was our label manager he was mm-hmm. really pivotal in and so many things we did had a ton of the connections with artists that that we released there was a time where he was sort of an austin local dj we had played a number of gigs outside and at some point he just stopped taking and doing local Austin gigs. Mm -hmm. And he started saying, I'll play for 500 bucks or Mm -hmm. I forget exactly what the number was. And if someone wanted him to play, then they had to pay him that amount of money. And that was a, and that was a hard time because he could probably make more money playing more often, but it was watering him down in the scene and sort of making him, um, you know, like we were talking about the merch, like, oh, I can see him anytime. And then it wasn't that exciting yeah. by pulling back, scaling back, picking his punches, like we talked about with social media, yeah. being smart about the opportunities that you take and mm-hmm. being smart about saying no to the ones that don't work for you. Basically choosing your time and where you spend your time and your energy wisely. He was able to elevate his name, his brand, his money in this market to be worth quite a lot. And yeah. And he also delivered. He put on a really good show. He was really good DJ and a really good performer. And he made each one of those gigs count. He would work really hard on the promo. Mm-hmm. He wasn't oversaturated, so people knew that was the one. He wasn't trying to promote five shows in one month because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I got this monthly and this weekly, <laughs> and I'm opening enough for so and so. And everyone's like, I don't know, what? Uh, who cares? Right. So right. It, it's a transition time, right? And each one of those markets. If you're just trying to play in Chicago for the first time, then just take the door deal 
get your foot in the door, meet that promoter, do a good job, show up, promote your ass off, call everyone you know in Chicago, get them to come out or network your ass off and and get people to come and build Mm -hmm. and grow. So Mm -hmm. each one of those things, markets, ideas apply to each city and thing that you're trying to, to climb. And, and it's a, it's, you know, it's hard. Yeah. I think there's a lot of value in declaring your value. I think there's a lot of value in saying, I'm worth this. Nobody's going to fight for you. Nobody's, no promoter is mm-hmm. just going to hand you a grand and say, thanks. Right. They're, they're, there's hard economic realities to being a promoter. Right. Uh, it's hard to make a dollar. So there's a lot of friction there. If you don't ask for $500, you're definitely not going to get 200 Um, so, you know, start high, go low. It's a negotiation. It's hard Mm -hmm. to sell yourself. That's why people get agents. Right. But at first, like in this day and age, you got to try to do everything yourself, learn the ropes, understand what it's like. And then you might be lucky to get a manager. You might be lucky to get an agent who's has an easier time, who knows, you know, what are these sales tactics? It's really hard to sell yourself as an artist. Mm -hmm. Um, get, get over it. (laughs) Just get over it. Just, 100%. just got to suck it up and go to bat. Uh, just come outside of yourself. Just pretend mm-hmm. you're trying to sell your grandma or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Not your grandma. That was ter- terrible. But like, <laughs> I know what you mean. You know, like pretend you're trying to sell something else besides you because sure. you're, you know, you, there's a lot caught up in that. There's, there's fear of rejection. Like if I ask for $500 and I don't get it, Mm-hmm. then you feel rejected. You feel personally devalued. Right. You got to hold. That was that tough skin yeah. and that fear of failure, that f- uh, fear of rejection. 100%. You got to gotta just push that shit away and go forward and be strong. That is great advice. I really appreciate that advice. Um, so when it comes to managers, um, something that comes to me personally is that it should be a friend a family member or someone that understands you and your psychology intimately. But I wanted to ask, do you think that is correct? Or do you think it really should be a business relationship and maybe someone that you don't hang out with all the time? Uh, there's a lot of ways to answer this question. There's no right or wrong answer. Again, I think it depends on where you are mm-hmm. in the arc of your career. Yeah. If You've got a lot going and you're um, bringing in, you know, significant revenue and getting a lot of offers, playing a lot of shows. You've got, um, you know, merch and and vinyl and maybe some sponsorships or, you know, all sorts of things happening. You're getting written up on blogs and and press articles and things are happening. I think you might want to go after a more professional seasoned manager mm-hmm. who has that experience. Those are old, the old ropes to them and they know, just know how to do it. If you're just getting started, then I would look for the person that's in your same shoes. Mm-hmm. That's trying to get their feet wet and get going. Makes sense. Um, and I mean, real world example would be closey. That's what we did. You know, mm-hmm. we all, myself, her and Cole Jones, who's founder of pivotal agency we all kind of came up together he was her agent i was her manager and obviously she was the artist and we all learned so much together right eventually she kind of outgrew us to the point where it made more sense for her to move on Mm -hmm. and work with a more seasoned manager her current manager is a guy named brandon ginsburg he used to manage bass nectar 
He works at Red Light Management. That's one of the biggest, you know, most successful independent management companies mm-hmm. in the world. Um, they do people like Bonobo, and and they have all the connections in the world. Mm-hmm. And w- we didn't. And, and it was really hard because we had been on that journey with her. But as an artist, it was time. It was the mm-hmm. clock was ticking and you only have one shot where you're the new hot awesome thing that everybody's excited about and you got a lot of buzz right. that only ever happens one time yeah and if you got to strike strike while the iron's hot and right. i've got a lot of different things that i do and um you know it, it was hard it was hard for her to move on but she honestly i think she made the right decision and uh you know it's it's hard for even me to admit that cuz my own ego but it's like sure, sure. I'm so proud of her. I'm so happy for her. Um, uh, and then, you know, when I when I came on to manage Beats Antique, they they had had they were in a different time in their career, and they needed someone like myself who um, had a lot of fire and was willing to pick up and put a lot of energy into the project because they had been through so much, and they, you know, sort of trying to to find a new their new place where they were at that time. Yeah, and someone that could listen, and and have a lot of patience for where they were, and um, mm-hmm. it just needs to be a good match for you, personality wise. Yeah, of, uh, of course, you have to trust them. Yeah, I mean that's what you're saying, right? So at a on a human level, you don't just don't want to work with anybody that you don't connect with. So I mean right. that the sort of yes, they need to be a friend in some way. You need to trust them enough. Where I mean, they ultimately a manager can screw you over so badly or do so much for you, and mm-hmm. I've seen both. So yeah, um, yeah, it, it's a really important decision. It's a really weird relationship. I don't know any other relationship that's like it. So you have the <laughs> artist who's essentially the CEO or the president or whatever of the of that business you're the top you're the you're the ultimately the buck stops with you everything that ever happens is going to come on your name and you should be able to take responsibility and then you're empowering this person to work for you Mm -hmm. and they're your manager and part of their job is to tell you what to do it's this weird dynamic and it's it's such a strange thing to Mm -hmm. to have and not necessarily tell you what to do but you know they're they need to be they need to be thinking about your mental health, your yeah. well-being, what's going on in your love life, what's going on with your money, what's going on with your family. Like all those right. things matter when you get up on stage to play a show or write some music. Are you in a good place mentally or not? And all of those things come into fa- into place. So, yeah, if you're wanting to work with someone and you don't have the relationship to to be vulnerable and, and really talk about those things. And there's only so much that can be done for them to help you with those, those deeper aspects of your life and, mm-hmm. and career. So hundred percent, it's a very important relationship. And ultimately then that manager needs to be able to deal with your agent, deal with licensing, publishing labels, mm-hmm. sponsorships, pub- publicity, PR, um, you know, all of those facets of your career, you know, the the tour, all of those things, venues, and and be able to intuit, like, what do you want? What are your preferences? How how do you deal with things? How do you want things to be dealt with? What kind of tone are we using when uh, something bad happens? Um, 
And right. also part of a manager, which is really hard, and I've made these mistakes and had this, is like when they mess up, again, it goes up to the artist. They take the brunt of the mm-hmm. thing. And we had an issue with Beats Antique where I, I did a couple of really stupid things and it blew back on them. Mm-hmm. And they had to make videos, or a video to apologize mm-hmm. and say, we're sorry that it went down like this. And ultimately it was my um, mm-hmm. frustration with a with a performer that, got them caught up in it and I should have been smarter. I should have mm-hmm. used better language and been more patient and, mm-hmm. and compassionate with somebody who was challenged. And instead I like, kind of lost my temper and mm-hmm. um, with their, what I perceived to be entitlement. And, and it was, it was a big deal. So sure, it's a sure. really weird job. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I, I appreciate you sharing all these deep stories and, and the vulnerability there. And, you know, I, I wanted to reciprocate that a little and, and, and share that I understand um, you know, what you mean about, you know, when an artist outgrows the roster or something, because mm. I, I had a similar experience with Supertask. Are you familiar yeah, with Supertask? Yeah. I love him. Uh, Kyle's a great guy. One of my favorite musicians on the planet. Yeah. Um, and we did uh, have him as a time will artist, uh, you know, at the beginning of his career, but at a point it was like he was blowing up, you know yeah. what I mean? And a pretty much same story. Um, and, you know, at the time, I was a little frustrated about that, but I do feel uh, like he did make the right call, and I'm super proud of him um, for where he's come and where he continues to push his art. Um, so I can kind of relate there. So um, I, I still, you know, bunch of love for him, and uh, that is kind of an eventuality of any business. You know what I mean? It's not just the record business. It's sometimes we have a client and we're an MMA agent and then the the guy gets signed to UFC and he you're he's not your client anymore you know what I mean so it's just a reality in all areas of business and life so yeah yeah I mean it's I think the the key is like you said is there's like they need to be progressing and they need they have to take the opportunities as they come and ultimately like if they kind of outgrow you or you, you, there's a, there's a, there's an arc to all relationships and, and things mm-hmm. like that. And, and, and not to take it personally, you know, right, right. like you said with Kyle is like, it can, it can hurt really bad. And that's cause we care. And that means that you're doing this for the right reasons. And you, you really worked and you invested yourself in their success. Mm-hmm. The, the caution and the thing to, to know is, it's really hard is your success is not their success and their success is not your success. And, and they are interlinked, they are intertwined, but you, but you know, on the closing project, I think we both Cole and I both fell into feeling like we were being, we were successful because she was being so successful. And, Mm -hmm. and um, it was just, you know, it was just hard when, when that got sort of, pulled away when she said, Hey guys, I'm going to make a change. It felt like, you know, like we had, you know, been, been slighted, but after some deep thought and work on that, I really realized it's like, what, that's, what's best for her. She's got to do what's best for her. hundred percent. And I agree. And, you know, I still maintain connection with Kyle and we do, um, design work for him from time to time just to, you know, just to remain part of his path because I'm just super, uh, I'm just, I'm a fan, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, bro, you're, you're killing it out here. So if, any, if there's anything I could do. 
So that's awesome. Well, dude, thank you so much for your time today, man. Um, Absolutely. Thank you for doing all that you do. And, um, yeah, I know we're going to work together more and, and, uh, just super appreciate you. Thank you so much, brother. Um, so that is Jesse from Gravitas Recordings. Everyone look up Gravitas Recordings, give them a follow, dive into their music. They have a bunch of amazing stuff on YouTube. Um, I can't recommend them highly enough. Um, I'll jump so. in. Uh, music.gravitasrecordings.com. That's our band camp. Um, buying artist music through Bandcamp is one of the best ways that you can support them right now and streaming music say spotify it's 0.004 cents a stream so even if you donate a dollar think of it like a a musician on the side of the street playing guitar and you throw a buck in their guitar case it goes such a long way to help fund us fund the artists it means the world to us signing up for our email list staying present and connecting with us feel free to reach out to me um, any of my social media just you can just google me jesse breda b-r-e-d-e would love to connect and big love to time wheel and matt appreciate you man